Get to announce some good news today. Adrian and Sandy Rankin and Brandon have become a part of our church family. There's a note about them in the bulletin. If y'all would stand, is Brandon here today? No, he's not. Okay, we'll welcome him next time, but everyone, uh, be sure you meet them. This is, thank y'all. This is a wonderful family. They've been worshiping with us for quite some time. We've kind of thought that you were a part of us for a long time now, and we're glad to be able to announce that publicly. What a great blessing they are. Uh, I received a, a text message, prayer request actually, that is from Michelle Ingram. Uh, she is the daughter of our Jane Posey and her husband Jeff has been struggling with cancer and uh, is on been on our prayer list for a while and he has his next CT scan tomorrow. And so Michelle asked that we remember Jeff Ingram tomorrow in our prayers um, especially and we're glad to be able to honor that. As Eric said, I'm going to be uh, uh, continuing my Facebook studies on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They're live on my Facebook page at 3 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays. We put them on the church uh, live stream video archive page on our website and also on our West Irwin Church of Christ and West Irwin Live Facebook pages immediately after they're finished. Uh, But this coming year, I'm going to be sharing Uh, from the Daily Bible uh, in chronological order by F. Lagarde Smith. I've done that before, and it's such a wonderful study. If you would like a copy of one of those, you can get those on Kindle, which I really like, but you can also get hard copies. They're actually available at a lot of bookstores, especially now, and especially Christian bookstores. Uh, I've ordered 12 of them. They should be coming in this week sometime, uh, and they're $20 a piece. And so if you would like to get one of those, then be sure and let me know. And uh, once 12 of those are gone, then they're gone. But you can pick those up at other sites as well, barnesandnoble.com and all the others, Amazon. Uh, they will do that. Those are uh, edited by F. Lagarde Smith and are the very best daily Bible reading tool that I've ever come across. And, uh, and so I'm glad that we'll be focusing on that in our Tuesday, Thursday Facebook studies. You may want to consider that for your daily Bible reading goal in 2024. See how I just kind of worked that in that I want you all to read through the Bible in 2024? Okay. Um, Also, I did want to mention, I wasn't here last week. Uh, Appreciate Eric doing a great job last week and Matt covering for me in class. Uh, We were able to spend some time with our family in Maryland. Uh, But Wade Weathers, one of our shepherds, made an announcement last Sunday about our special end-of-the-year contribution. I think that is unofficially officially today. (laughs) And so if you would like, if you did not have a chance to put in a little bit extra today, you're welcome to do that later. You can, of course, do that online. You can drop a check off this week uh, to the church or next week. We do have two more weeks in this year. Uh, But uh, Wade shared some things. Our shepherds are wonderful about challenging us and keeping important things for us uh, to uh, tasks that we need to take part in before us, and I'm glad that we're participating in that, and I know it will go beyond our expectations. That's kind of the pattern of this church, and isn't that a wonderful, wonderful blessing? Uh, Let's bow for a moment in prayer. Father, we are, are grateful to be a part of this church family, to be a part of your church at all. We're thankful. We don't deserve it. We can do nothing to earn it, and yet, Father, because of what we've sung about today, because of what we've heard shared about as we gathered around your table. We know, Father, that it is because of the wonderful, um, tragic death of Jesus 
so undeserved so that we could have what we do not deserve, and that is eternal life. Father, we're thankful that a part of what he died for is to place us in a family, to be a part of your church, his body, and for that we're grateful. Bless the body that meets here, Father. Bless the West Irwin Church of Christ. Help us, O Lord, as we seek to do your will, as we seek to be the light of the world around us, as Jesus charged us to be, and as we seek to give each other encouragement and joy and hope, even when we share each other's burdens. Father, it is with that purpose in mind. So, Father, we're grateful today that uh, the world celebrates the coming of your Son. We know, Father, that uh, Scripture does not call us to do that on a specific day, but we also know, Lord, that uh, the angels couldn't keep quiet, nor should we, about that wonderful occasion. So bless us, Father, as we consider that great gift this week and next week. Bless us, Father, as we live each day the rest of this month and in the years to come, that we too will glorify his name and adore you on high. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied what you see on the screen there, recorded in Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to be looking today about how... uh, Two in particular, Isaiah and John the Baptist, prepared people of their day and us as well for the Savior. And it's really amazing how people weren't ready, how we still aren't ready. You would think that God's people would not have been surprised by the Savior. And yet they were. They were when Isaiah talked about it. They were when Jesus came and lived and preached and helped and served and died. And they are today. So I want us to speak a bit today about preparing for the Savior. For some reason, they were just not prepared. And it was not from lack of trying on God's part. He certainly gave them every opportunity to know what to expect and to be watching for it. And we're going to look at some of those passages today. God's part was to prepare them as best he could, expecting them to hear what was said and to accept it and to be joyful over it. And yet, in spite of God's preparing, they were surprised by the Savior. So, a couple of ones who especially prepared God's people. Isaiah, first of all, prepared the people for the Savior. Isaiah prepared the people for the Savior. We'll look at several passages from Isaiah, starting in Isaiah 42. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Isaiah speaks about a a Messiah, a Savior, a chosen one who was to come that was different from what they were expecting. And yet he tried to prepare them for that. Matthew in Matthew chapter 12 picks up on some of the things that Isaiah says. As he says in verse 2, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And we're troubled and and we wonder sometimes about those instances in the Gospels when Jesus, remember, he would perform some great miracle of healing and and then he would tell that person what? Don't tell anybody. (laughs) And yet, of course, they would walk out and they would. And we wonder about why exactly that is. And Matthew gives us the answer in Matthew 12 as he points back to Isaiah 42 saying, you should have known this. This is what Isaiah said Messiah would do. He wouldn't ring his own bell. He wouldn't toot his own horn. He wouldn't be that voice in the street saying, look at me, look at me, look at what I've done. He never, ever did that. And he was compassionate. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And he was committed to justice and faithfulness as well. And we certainly see that affirmed throughout the Gospels also. We turn back to that passage in Isaiah chapter 9 for our next scripture. The first few verses, first of all, and then we'll get to the one that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 3. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people, verse 2, walking in light, walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. This passage mentions a couple of the tribes. Remember the 12 tribes of Israel where they divided up the land in the days of Joshua? And some of the northern tribes became the nation of Israel later when they divided, but... We see some of those northern tribes mentioned here, Zebulun and Naphtali. And they're in that northern part of the promised land, as it were. And when Jesus comes, Matthew ties into this in Matthew chapter 4. Because we see Jesus making his home base there. Not in Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem where he was born. That's in the southern part in the, under the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. But up there by the sea, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, the city of Capernaum. And that became his home base. And Matthew sees that as a fulfillment of what Isaiah said. A light has come to you. Jesus in the Gospel of John would say, I am the light of the world. We see that great fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah shared. Hundreds of years before it happened. And then the next one is the couple of verses that we mentioned earlier. Isaiah chapter 9 beginning at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, sometimes when you read Old Testament and you talk specifically about prophecies, you ask yourself, Who does that, who's that talking about? And sometimes it may be referring to someone that would come during the prophet's lifetime or an earthly king. And there are some of these things that could be said about an earthly king, such as Hezekiah or Josiah later, but not all of them. And as we read Isaiah's words, we realize there's only one person who could say, I did all those things. I was all those things. And that is Jesus of Nazareth, the child that was born, the son that was given, the government that was placed on his shoulders, the description, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the greatness of his government and of that peace that he brought as prince of peace, reigning on David's throne for eternity, not an earthly kingdom that has boundaries, but a spiritual kingdom that he would establish. And as he shared in that time when he was interacting with uh, Pilate in those chapters of the Gospel of John that Michael mentioned as we gathered around the table, saying, my kingdom is not of this earth. And that's the difference. And that's why these things can only be applied to him. But that's not something that people got. Still looking for an earthly The great chapter in Isaiah 53 is one that goes so well with what Michael shared as we gathered around the table, as we considered his sacrifice and his suffering during that time. I believe that this was the one thing for Saul of Tarsus, who had become the Apostle Paul, that he could not accept. And it's the one thing about Jesus being the Messiah that caused him to oppose him so strongly with every ounce of his being. How could the Messiah be someone who suffered? How could the Messiah be someone who had bad things happen to him? Someone who became accursed according to the law. You see, in the law, when you're nailed to a cross, when you're impaled on a a big piece of wood, you are accursed. And Saul of Tarsus knew the story of Jesus, and he knew that he had been convicted by uh, the uh, superior court of the Jews, by the Sanhedrin and the high priest. He knew that he had been sentenced to death. He knew that the Romans had crucified him on a cross. And for Saul of Tarsus, he could not accept that that person was the long-awaited Messiah. And yet he was. And Saul of Tarsus should have seen that. Because like those verses in Isaiah 9, there is no one else that can fulfill what I'm about to read in Isaiah 53. Written hundreds of years before it happened, Isaiah saw the suffering Savior. Though some have said in times past, oh sure, some good, wonderful Christian wrote this and gave Isaiah's name to it and it was long after these events happened. And we could only say, well, I don't, think, I don't think that that's true. And now we can say, I know that's not true because of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovery. 
that a hundred or so years before these things happened, there was a whole scroll of Isaiah found, including these words. Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. If you put Jesus of Nazareth and a group of Israeli men of the first century, you could not pick him out. He blended in that well. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. As if God were punishing Jesus, the Messiah to come, rather than the sinner I was. But he was pierced, verse 5, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds that Michael described, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him rather than us. The iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. What Isaiah didn't know is that he would be crucified between two thieves. And with the rich in his death, though he hadn't done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. What Isaiah didn't know is that a rich man, a member of the Sanhedrin that had convicted him, Joseph of Arimathea, would provide his own tomb for the body of Christ. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. That's us. For he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Later the apostle Peter would look back to Isaiah 53. And apply it to those who were suffering unjustly today. Pointing to the suffering of the Savior. Saying all that's happening is that you are being like him There's no glory in suffering when it's deserved, but when suffering is undeserved, when it's unjust, as horrible as that is, we can take comfort in knowing that that's how the world treated the Son of God also. This passage 
in almost every verse speaks of the compassion that this Messiah, this chosen one, this Christ, this anointed one, this Savior would have for the people. We heard that same compassion described by Eric and by Ken earlier in our service. By Michael describing the concern Jesus had even on the cross for his mother to be taken care of. Because at that time his brothers didn't believe in him. Isaiah prepared the people for the Savior. And in the great passage in Isaiah chapter 40, it begins this way. As he speaks of the one to come. We'll start in verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. Plow it up. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. A voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. We'll see another passage in a moment. Actually, we'll see another passage in a week next Sunday that Isaiah shares about the one who would come and what his name would be In spite of all of this, the people were surprised, even though Isaiah had prepared them so well for the Savior to come. Secondly, John the Baptist prepared the people for the Savior. We consider the things that Luke shares in his gospel in Luke chapter 3, as he talks about the specific time that John began his ministry that John began preaching and, and where it was and what he said, a preaching of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which was different than all the other baptisms and washings that the Jews were doing. This one was for repentance, to repent. This one was for forgiveness. And then Luke writes in chapter 3, verse 4, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. And then Luke begins to speak about John and his powerful preaching. He looks out among the people that had come to him and he says, you're a bunch of snakes. (laughs) Bill, you made that up. Oh, no, 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 no. Verse 7, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Why will you call him that, John? Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't say, hey, I'm a good Jew. Don't say in our day, I'm a good Christian. And I've been saved. I've been washed in the blood. That's wonderful. I'm so glad. 
Now John's words still apply. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Live well. Live faithfully. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John says, well, if you've got an extra shirt, share it with somebody. If you're in a position of responsibility, then don't use that to defraud someone. Don't collect more than what you're required to. Don't accuse people falsely. They said, are you the Messiah? Sounds like it. And it kind of did. And he said, no, no. I'm not worthy to untie the sandal of the one who is to come. In the last book of the Bible, some of the last words in the Bible, in Malachi 3 and 4, the prophet says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I will send the prophet Elijah to you. And he will bring children's hearts to their parents and parents to their children. And then we turn to Matthew chapter 11. And we see those words from Malachi fulfilled. John is in prison and he's hearing about the deeds of Jesus. And he sends word to him, well, are you the one? And what he didn't ask is, if so, why am I still in prison? Verse 4 of Matthew 11, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. Not that the Messiah comes and he's on that white stallion and he's got a sword in his hand and everyone is bowing before him. No, no. No, no. That's not what the prophet said when he talked about the Savior. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Like Saul of Tarsus did until he met him face to face. And then Jesus talks about John. What did you go see? Did you go see a nicely dressed man, wealthy, powerful? What did you go see, verse 9? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written in Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And verse 14, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. John is that messenger. Jesus is that Savior. Isaiah prepared the people for the Savior. John the Baptist prepared the people for the Savior. And still they were surprised. Still they weren't ready. Today as we close, are you preparing for the Savior? Are you preparing for the Savior? As He comes in a constant, daily, hourly, moment-by-moment way in the lives of people in your life, are you prepared? How do you do that? How do you prepare for the Savior? Just two things. We could have a lot, but we'll just say two. Number one, celebrating His life. Celebrating His life. And yes, that includes His birth. And if you're not happy that the world looks to Jesus, at least at this time of the year, I'm not sure why. The angels couldn't be quiet. The shepherds had to go. 
The Magi from the east would not be stopped. Are you celebrating his life? Are you celebrating his birth? Are you celebrating his teaching, his ministry, his healing? Are you celebrating his suffering because it was for you? Are you celebrating his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel itself? Is that the biggest joy in your life that you have a Savior? Oh, how I love Jesus. Because, why? Because he first loved me. Are you preparing for the Savior, celebrating his life? And then secondly, are you ready for his return? Are you ready for his return? Have you given your life to him? Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? So all those wonderful things that Jesus went through, all those amazing things that Isaiah saw hundreds of years beforehand could have effect in your life, could forgive you of your sins. Have you given your life to Him, and are you living your life for Him? Are you convicted by the words that John the Baptist shared? As if they pierced your heart too, because you look inside that heart and you say, you know, not sure I am, Bill. I'm not sure I am. You can change that today. You can do exactly what John the Baptist said to do. Repent. Change course. You'll never be able to do all those things perfectly. But you can be faithful. And you can receive that forgiveness that the blood of Jesus brought. That his suffering made possible. By coming to him through baptism. And being raised to live a new life. Watching for his return. Preparing for the Savior. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. If we can help you be prepared for the Savior today, come as we stand. Sing this song together.